I'ma read that bitch. I'ma school that bitch. I'ma take that bitch to college. I'ma give that bitch some knowledge. I'ma read that bitch. I'ma school that bitch. I'ma take that bitch to college. I'ma give that bitch some knowledge. I'ma read, I'ma read, I'ma read. I'ma read, I'ma read, I'ma read. I'ma read that bitch. Welcome, dear reader, to the Book Jockey Podcast, where an ex-lit major reads and analyzes literature in the public domain for no one's amusement. Currently, we're reading Powers of Darkness by Vladimir Osmundson, the Icelandic translation of Bram Stoker's Dracula from 1901. We left off uh, in which Thomas Harker had quite an adventure making his way through a bunch of a maze of doors and wings of the castle um, in this M.C. Escher style, um, overtly complex uh, description of the castle where the, the writer, the writer was needlessly, complex with like and there was three doors on the west end of the corridor with the west wing with the windows facing the da, da, da. it's like holy shit just get the fuck on with it i do not remember that in bram stokers i i don't remember this like over the top like having to there was li- literally a description of a door a door the wood was swollen like i give two fucks Um, just way, way too much. And luckily somewhere within all the descriptions of doors, um, Vladimir was able to fit in some action, uh, including Thomas, um, was bit by, uh, as we, the reader know to be Dracula. Thomas doesn't know that yet. Um, but as he was making his way through the castle, he, was going down into a sort of dark basement type area um, and was bit by a creature that appeared to have human-like arms but be hairy and have a snout. Um, And then he finally made his way back to his room um, and Dracula, as Count Dracula in human form, woke him up and explained to him that hey, I found you like this tossing and turning an apparent nightmare. I think you had a nightmare. And trying to basically gaslight Thomas Harker into thinking that the whole thing was but a dream. And, um, well, we're going to find out now if Thomas uh, falls for this shit and if he's that gullible. So we'll go on. But one thing is sure, when I woke up, I clearly remembered everything that had happened the day before and into the night. But it doesn't at all match what the Count would have me believe. He maintains that he found me in my bedroom. However, I cannot understand why he does not just tell me the truth. He had previously warned me not to dwell in the empty rooms on the higher floors after sunset, but last night I had totally forgotten about that. <laughs> so it's almost like is is he like seriously going to be this this gas lit that he is um 
doing a little bit of the uh, the victim blaming himself. Uh, he told me not to go there after dark, and I did anyhow. And, and no wonder I got bit. Um, by the way, a little disclaimer. Uh, it is Thursday, February 13th, 9.16 p.m. I'm going, I had a popsicle already, a THC-infused popsicle. So we're going to try to ride this wave of reading for a little while until just like, until it just becomes obvious that I can't handle it anymore. So who knows how long this episode will be. Maybe I'll be so high I'll just read all night. Maybe I'll get so high I have to stop reading after five minutes. We're not sure, but we'll see what happens. I have to accept, as he told me, that the air in this old castle is not healthy though it may be difficult to identify the afflictive agents. People speculate about contagious mental diseases, but why shouldn't they just as well imagine mental infections that weaken one's mind and disposition in the same way that cholera and diphtheria bacteria weaken the body? And nothing speaks against the possibility that such germs can be in a dormant state for years or even centuries on end. I am neither a psychologist nor a doctor, but I can give my opinion. I am unable and uneager to put into words, but I can feel it clearly. In the same way that various external factors can make one ill, so have I been affected. Whether these causes are mental or not, they have provoked visions and emotions in me that I have not had before, and which are of a rather noxious sort. Noxious? Oh, God, it is exhausting being so dumb. N-O-C-U-O-U-S. Noxious, harmful, or poisonous. Why don't you say noxious then? Okay. Anyhow. Um, wow. I just realized that I'm high enough that I can't even find my way on the page. Um... The Count says that I have only dreamt things, and that would be the most logical explanation. I was tired that evening, my nerves were on edge, and my imagination was sickly after all that had happened to me since noon. And he really does love me. He does love me. That's why he hurts me. I had fallen asleep with my clothes on. No, I shall swear that I had not. I was sitting at the table in the library just as I am now, when I suddenly felt the urge to go up to the top floor to have a better view of the sunset. I threw my pen down and took my book with me to the bedroom. Then I ran up the stairs. When I came to the tower next to the portrait gallery, the sun had not yet set. The view from up there truly is better than any other place in the castle. I went to all the windows and finally stood by the one that gave me the best view. And... As there are benches in all the alcoves, I sat down, opened the window, and completely immersed myself in the beauty of nature. I lit a cigar and leaned back. Jeez, that sounds nice. Why don't we do that shit? It's crazy. 
The air was sultry and I expected the night to bring thunderstorms. I was tired and didn't feel like lifting a finger. Instead, I felt called upon to enjoy the splendor of the scenery. After the sun had set, a glowing evening redness spread across the heavens. It was as if the whole sky was ablaze. Then, with black, blue, and reddish misty streaks in the east, goldish clouds came dashing in, high up in the sky, driven by the upper air streams. I started to feel curiously thrilled, as if anticipating something, but I didn't know what. Never in my life have I felt like that before. I cannot describe it, but it was as if I was half drunk. Darkness slid over, yet the same stifling heat remained, filling the air with a floral scent in the, from the valley. I arranged the pillows on the bench to be more comfortable and stretched myself out even more and stared steadily into the distance, wondering why the tempest hadn't broken yet. I must have fallen asleep because I clearly remember waking up to a feeling as though an electric current were passing through me, and I sensed that I was not alone. It was growing as dark as it can on a summer's night in this region. The windows were hardly visible, and I could barely distinguish any of the furniture around me. At first, I couldn't figure out where I was. I thought I had arrived in some kind of unknown world, and that a voice was whispering to me, Love, which burns like bitter hatred, and hatred that burns like love. Those were the words the Count had used when he was showing me the paintings, but now they were spoken by an utterly different voice, some seductive voice. Half unconscious, I sank back into the bench. At that same moment, two flashes of lightning burst forth, casting their light into the room. In this light, I saw her next to me. She was just as she had been the first time I met her. When the light vanished, I lost sight of her, but I could feel her coming closer and bending over me. I turned feeble, unable to move. Lightning struck again, and I saw her face right next to mine. She stared straight into my eyes, her lips parted. I saw the necklace around her neck, which was bare right down to her bosom. I could see that she'd sank down on her knees by the bench on which I sat. Then, unbroken blackness surrounded me once more, and I seemed to be tumbling down somewhere into the deep, half-unconscious. The flowery fragrance had half-numbed me, but I could still feel her soft, feminine arms wrap around me, her breath on my face and her lips pressing to my throat. I don't know how much time passed, but suddenly I woke up with a shock. I felt as though she were slipping from my arms and a great grief engulfed my body. In that moment, I saw a light flare up, not from the lightning bolt, from from a lamp carried by the Count as he entered the room. He shouted something. It sounded like a curse in a language I did not know. He came straight to me and lit up my face. What by all the devils are you doing here? Why do you not obey me, he barked in German, trembling with anger despite his efforts to control himself. Here, at this hour, you should know that Dracula is master of this house. He closed the window. He had left the lamp on the floor, and from below it cast a ghostly or rather demonic hue onto his face. His hair stood up on his head like that of an angry lion. 
I rose, about to stammer some excuse, as he stood staring at me as if considering something. Then he said in a commanding tone, lie down. Automatically, I obeyed and lay back on the pillow. He took the lamp and examined my face and neck carefully. Then he laughed, a cold laugh. Good friend, he said, his voice suddenly gentle. You should have remembered that I warned you against being up here when it starts to get dark. This you have forgotten, of course, but in this matter, I must caution you again. You have put yourself at risk, falling asleep in front of the open window. Have you been attacked in your sleep? He stroked my forehead and the top of my throat. After that, I cannot remember anything before waking up in my bed, fully clothed and with the Count standing next to me, saying he'd awoken me because I had a bad dream. That is the past bed, that it was past bedtime and that it would be best to undress. I obeyed him and didn't wake up again until much later in the day. So it's confusing because I thought that earlier when he, the count had come in the room and said, I'd woken you up from a nightmare. He was insinuating that the nightmare was the earlier events when Thomas Harker got attacked by like a beast man, beast creature and was wandering around the castle after seeing the dead body out in the courtyard and when he was wandering around the castle and saw all the bones in the basement. But now the implication is that the nightmare was when he ran up to see the view and the unnamed woman vampire seemingly may have bitten him uh, when he was upstairs. So I guess what we're doing here is on... Um, completely glossing over the previous night's events in which he had also been attacked. Um, he seems to have completely accepted that as if it's no big deal. I just really can't understand the character. Uh, he was attacked, saw a basement full of bones, and his instinct is the next day to really have a strong urge to see a sunset. So I'm going to run upstairs to see that sunset. Um, and then I'm so relaxed. I'm so at ease in this house. I'm going to just chillax in front of a window, prop up my feet, lay back on a bench, prop up those pillows, light a cigar, and just watch the sunset for hours. Or however long the sunset lasts, rather. And I just... There has to be some sort of um, unwritten mental tricks happening, some sort of hy hypnosis that he's being put under in the Count Dracula's castle um, that is making him so easy to manipulate and to um, be told that he had a dream or to reassure him that everything's okay and to forget previous events. Um, something is definitely a miss. I have now written down everything that has happened to me, and although it is but a few words, it's clear enough to convince me that this was no dream. Okay, okay, Thomas. Yeah, you're a prisoner, and there's no dream. 
Like how many times do you have to have the fucking red pill before you're aware? Um, and isn't that a metaphor for us? How many fucking times do I have to be reminded of my own bad habits and false beliefs and self-destructive behaviors and that the world can be cruel or that this person could do such and such to have a exhibit a unhealthy behavior and I just keep walking back into it. I keep falling for it. I keep acting shocked. Oh, Jesus. This is shocking that I can't get my shit together. What? Huh? What's wrong with me? Yeah, so I get it. Me and Thomas are the same. <sighs> to be certain, I went to the top floor in broad daylight and it took, had a look around. I went to the tower room and everything appeared just as it had night the night before. The furnishings were untouched and nothing had been moved. The pillows on the window bench were in a pile exactly as I call arranging them so that I would be more comfortable, and I no doubt recognized the silk that the benches were lined with. It was all exactly as I remembered it to be. I found cigar ash on the windowsill, which I had left there while smoking. I also saw footprints in the dust on the floor, which apparently had not been swept in a very long time, and traces left as if by a dress. Thus, I have no doubt that my memories are accurate. I know that I was up there that evening, although the Count denies it. But I cannot understand why he does so. It would be more understandable were he to reproach me for violating his instructions not to go up there. Perhaps then I might accept the idea that everything I believe has happened to me may have been but a dream. When we met last night, the Count had already arrived in the library, quite contrary to his habit. He was most amiable in manner and had taken a number of English and Austrian hand law books from the bookcase to show me to help make my evening as pleasant as possible. It is truly amazing how much his English has improved in such a short time. He must have a keen ear as he catches on to the pronunciation at a staggering pace. By now it's hardly possible to hear that he isn't an Englishman, save for single words in which the intonation is too difficult for him. I praised him for this, and it appeared he'd appreciated the compliment. I'm glad to hear that, dear Harker, he said with great enthusiasm. Do you think that in a few weeks, let's say, or a month, I could speak your beautiful language like an Englishman? Don't you think that Londoners will immediately hear that I'm a foreigner? I owe you a lot, my friend, and I will repay the favor. You may count on it. I said that he would learn the language best, or the pronunciation rather, as he can already build perfect sentences once he's in London. Once there, he would hear other people speak as well and get to know the various dialects. No, it must be as I say. I do not want to risk drawing attention to myself or being laughed at when I come to London. What do you think? I am buried in work and I'm willing to pay for some proper help. There are, however, certain things that cannot be paid for with money, and such is the case with the favor and the pleasure that you have bestowed upon me. I hope you will enjoy staying with me here for the time being, and you should be able to rest here after a hard day of work. There are plenty of law books in my library, and among them are many rare publications that you will not easily find in larger collections. There is a treasure trove here for an intelligent lawyer, 
and I know with certainty that this castle has a good deal to offer you, far more than you suspect. I am sure that you will not be bored. I didn't know what to think. I thought I detected a sarcastic undertone in his words, and throughout our conversations, I considered telling him that all that I had chanced upon, asking him to speak to me openly, but I dropped the idea, and it was probably for the best. Instead, I merely mentioned that my employer might dislike it if I were to stay here much longer, potentially for weeks on end. I have told you that you will be my guest for now. You must inform your employer. In any case, a few more weeks will not make any difference. We will speak no more of it. He gave me such a dark look as he said this that I realized it would be wisest not to mention another word about my wish to leave. I am to be imprisoned here, willingly or not. Oh my fucking God. Yes. Yes, Thomas. You are being imprisoned. Okay? Fucking this is not shocking. You're fucking imprisoned. You're discovering this for the hundredth time. You are a prisoner of your own fucking invention. You made yourself a prisoner with this fucking delusional thought process you have and living in a fucking delusional world where everything's fine and not being able to spot the reality around you. You made yourself this prisoner. Jesus. Needed fucking drink after that one. Yet, I still don't understand why he keeps me here. He pretends that he needs my English lessons, but that is nothing but pretext. He must have another reason that I cannot figure out. I have now decided not to stay here, though he wishes to keep me. I will not be granted permission to leave on neither good nor bad terms, so there's nothing else I can do but try to escape secretly. When I embarked on this journey, like any other business trip, I expected it to be complete within a few days. But now I've been captive, fearing for my life under the power of an oriental tyrant. <laughs> Motherfucking oriental tyrant. Okay, let's see what this note says. With the threat of oriental tyranny, Herodotus referred to the clash between the Greek democratic city-states and King Xerxes of Persia in the battles of Marathon and Thermopylae. In the 1850s, Karl Marx used the term oriental despotism to describe the Asiatic mode of production, characterized by state control over land ownership and irrigation systems. Frederick Engels set forth this thought in his anti-during. Vladimir, familiar with socialist theories, may have introduced this vocabulary, which is not used in Dracula. All right, so we're getting into this, uh, to this, um, the kind of socialism critique things again. Interesting. <clears throat> no, I have to get out of here. Staying here will be unbearable. I can already feel that I've lost my normal sense of composure. I have always been known to be an impassive person and have aimed not to let others unduly influence me. You're not doing great at this, Thomas. 
This is the first time that I felt seriously compelled to bow to someone else's will. Okay. All right. We're dropping hints that there is some kind of influence or hypnotism happening. If only I had some task at hand so that my time here weren't so listless. And isn't that kind of a sort of method towards um, breaking someone mentally, you know, seclusion, um, no mental stimulation. I am now starting to write an essay for the law journal on the legal procedures of Hungary, past and present. The Count was right when he said that the library is an inexhaustible treasure for a lawyer. It could have been of great use had the circumstances had been different. It is always better to know than not, and in such a situation as I am now, idleness can be very harmful, so I work intensively and immerse myself in the books. If only there were books on the occult that he could look at and learn more about um, the demonic, vampiric presences in the house, which we already read that there were books on the occult. Get with it, Thomas. Less law books, more occult books, okay? Over the last few days, the Count has been in the best of moods, spending more time at home than usual. He sat with me all evening, like he did on the first night I was there, and tried to entertain me. He may have partially done so to improve his English. He has told me many stories about his family. Most of them were so obscene and lewd that they were not to be repeated. Certainly, we English folk are no angels, but nevertheless, thankfully, we consider certain moral principles to be our laws of nature, and we believe that our moral aspirations are supported by decency in speech, written word, and behavior. Sinfulness may hide beneath an impeccable disguise. Much like dust and dirt, it can be found anywhere, yet it is crucial to society that such behavior is condemned as vicious and damaging. Surely the community that is ashamed of its filth is truly healthier than that in which people are shameless enough to throw their rubbish on streets and crossroads as if it does not matter. I understand that the Count may consider our ideas of my morality to be worthless and that ethical behavior, as we call it, in his opinion, is, not, is nothing but worldly wisdom that man has learned from experience. I do not pretend to be very strict with morals myself. Still, I cannot condone that the only strings constantly struck are those of uncurbed carnal craving. It's as if the Count believes that the love between a man and a woman, in its basest form, is the only thing that counts in this world. Half in jest, I pointed this out to him the other day and I didn't fail to mention that I cannot hold such a view. Oh, you are such a great Joseph. I admire you, he said and laughed disturbingly. I respect your principles, for having them is truly a rare virtue nowadays. But believe me, you too will someday prove the saying, c'est l'amour, 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 uh, qui fait corner la terrier to be true that is the love of a woman is what makes the world go round you will understand me look at me 
He slapped my shoulder, and I felt the blood rush to my head as he looked at me, but I must have not understood him the way he intended, for if I had, I would have been... And then it just cuts off. Okay, so it cuts off, and then there's another entry with a new date on it saying May 18th. Okay, and it finishes the sentence in a new entry with a new date. That's kind of a weird thing to do, but oh well. I would have been done for. Yes, that is what I cannot erase from my mind. Even as I sit here or read or write, for my thoughts are constantly wandering. It feels as though some current is carrying me to the brink of destruction and I cannot fight it. My dear Wilma, I call upon you, just like a Catholic man calling to the Virgin Mary at the hour of temptation. There's another image that always appears before my mind's eye, clouding your appearance so that my spirit cannot see it any longer. And when I try to seek comfort in memories of our happiest times, when we would silently understand one another and look with hope towards the future, with all our plans to live and work together in harmony, harmony, <laughs> another memory surfaces, one that suffocates all else and affects me like a fever or poison or drunkenness. And when I open my arms, it is not you. Whether I am awake or sleeping, she haunts me, this strange creature. She scares me, and yet she attracts my thoughts harder and harder. I don't understand how I've been changed, how I must have been crazed and obsessed. I have seen her again, although I have sworn a solemn oath more than once that I would never do so again. But what's the use of that? Without the least forewarning, she shows up here. When I sit here and write in my journal, only about the things I have experienced, she suddenly stands behind me. Like the other day, when I put down my pen and left my diary, I hear nothing and don't notice anything until I feel an electric shock run through my every nerve, urging me to look up. And then I will try to describe these personal trials as that may make it easier to avoid them. For one example... I sat writing in the library after the Count had bid me good night. Suddenly, while writing those last lines on the previous page, I felt the urge to go up to the top floor, to the tower room next to the portrait gallery. Something drew me there against my will. I fought against it with all my might and continued to write, but it felt as though some voice were whispering in my ear incessantly, Why do you not come up? I thought you would visit us. I have so much to talk about with you. You will come. Remember that you are expected. I did not go up there. There, I will not go again while I am still in control of myself. But although I have considered myself together tougher than most other people, I am so weak. I can control my body, but my inner man cannot. Physically, I was not there. But something in my inner man obeyed her and called her to me. I continued to write, but then I suddenly sensed her presence. The pen dropped from my hand. I looked back and saw that she stood behind the chair, gazing at me with those eyes that are like radiant beams, cutting through bone and marrow. Oh, here we go. 
So we're getting fully into like the mind control stuff now. That's great. There was a lot of discussion about hypnosis. I've never tried letting myself be hypnotized, but in my law cases, I have seen on more than one occasion a wrongdoing blamed on hypnosis. I have always believed that this so-called hypnotic state is nothing more than a lack of moral endurance or will, and I have never wanted to accept that such an excuse would be honored in legal proceedings. If men of law would acknowledge and use this as an argument, it could lead to a confusion of people's moral compass and accountability. It would, however, be convenient for all weak men if they can employ this subterfuge to lay blame on some chap whose evil will they couldn't have resisted. As a result, society would plunge into chaos. Although I had to undergo the painful experience myself, that another person was powerful enough to make my will melt like wax, weakening until it dissolved altogether, I feel that I know that it is entirely my own fault. If my soul were purer and my desire for the good stronger and tougher in the battle, I wouldn't so easily give in to something that I cannot identify, which I cannot even understand with common sense. She bent over me, and I could feel how her eyes sought out my innermost nature, my independence, and all my mental strength. I sensed it, and although at that moment I couldn't put it into words, I leaned back in the chair and looked at her. A ray of light revealed the ruby heart on her chest, and it seemed to me as though blood ran from it. Was I asleep? At first, I only saw her radiant eyes, but then I clearly saw that her bosom was bloody, and I remembered how horrified I was. What happened next I recall as if it was from a dream in which truth and fantasy merge. She sank down on my knee, and I felt her soft body in my arms as she wrapped hers around me so tightly that I could hardly breathe. I can still feel how she pressed her lips to my neck and with a long, quivering kiss. It was as if I melted and lost all awareness, as if time and space dissolved. But then I woke up in pain, and she whispered to me impetuously, Take away the cross. The cross. I cannot stand it. Take it away. I assumed that she meant the crucifix hanging from the rosary I carried around my neck, but it was as if some internal force within me revolted. By no means could I explain it, for I put no belief in inanimate objects neither in the cross nor in anything else, and I am such a devoted Lutheran that I cannot ascribe supernatural power to the crucifix as Roman Catholics do. Ugh, those Roman Catholics, ugh. I honestly don't know what stopped me from obeying her. It was as though some voice whispered to me that I should pay no heed to her words. I woke up as if from a slumber, and it felt like some invisible string suddenly snapped. She jumped up from my lap like a spring, glancing at me with a threatening look. She extended her arms around my head, gradually lowering it while she stared at me, as the same time she inched backwards toward the door. I stood still, stunned as if struck by a rock, and so I didn't notice how she stole out, though I was curious to find out. And since then, I felt that she is constantly around me. Even though I'm clearly helpless and horror-struck when I think of her, I cannot rid myself of the strings she has wrapped around me. 
these invisible threads that have been spun around me ever since I got here, initially filigree and light like spider silk, but then stronger and stronger, so strong that they practically strangle me. I have seen her twice since then, once in the twilight like the first time I saw her. I stood by the window in the library and looked out, but when I glanced back, I saw that she was standing behind me, and before I knew it was happening, she had slung her arms around me and pressed a kiss on my throat like before. The second time, she was standing pale and sylph-like, right under the lamp on the octagonal room when I opened my door. We looked at each other, but I had enough strength to turn around and slam the door so that it locked between us. But whether I am awake or asleep, she always hovers before my mind's eye. And if I were to obey that voice that has always seemed to be talking to me, I would search the whole castle for her. There is only one desire in me that is stronger, my wish to get away from here, even if it cost me my life. But how do I get out? The gate is always locked, and I don't know another exit. True, the Count doesn't monitor me at all times, but I know for sure he'd soon find out if I tried to flee. Well, who cares if he finds out? Of course he's going to find out if you're gone. You got to try. It seems he's constantly observing me in his self-satisfied and scorning manner. He hardly cares to cover that up. Sometimes when he speaks to me, always diligent to practice his English, and I'm so lost in thought that I forget to answer him, he pauses and looks at me with an expression that I cannot describe. But it frightens me. I am almost convinced that he knows and understands how I feel and that he's enjoying it. The things he said to me during the first days of my stay here often crossed my mind. When he talked about his allegedly moonstruck cousin, I remember how slyly he peered at me with these eyes of his. Now I wonder whether I am caught in a trap. Is she actually a lunatic? Or what then? Now I have to get away from here before I go insane myself. So, yeah. What could be the reason? Or what is the reason that Dracula is not feeding on him? And she is. What is the author's, well, either Bram or Osmondson's intention in making the the seducer, the hypnosis, um, the the manipulator, the woman, and in the case of the the three kind of concubines in Dracula and and this unnamed woman here and. And powers of darkness. The kind of reinforcement of the stereotype of the the sexually liberated woman who's influencing men to the side of darkness, being uh, giving them temptation when they're trying their their hardest to stay strong. Yeah, we'll find out more next time. For now, I'm high, and I gotta go to bed. Good night, dear reader.